You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Terry, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus' Stock on the Hill. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Take your seats. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to pick it up a couple of verses in chapter 13, and then we're going to quickly uh, kind of move through and go over to uh, Luke chapter uh, 13 in just a couple of minutes. So get your fingers wet and we'll head over there. Uh, but let's pick it up. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Actually, before I do it, let me ask you a question. What's the best decision you've ever made? And what's the worst decision you've ever made? (laughs) And be careful with the worst. What's the best decision? What's the worst decision you've ever made? Think about it. How did it ultimately affect your life? I remember one of the best that I made. It was very simple. It wasn't, had really not a lot of intention behind it other than I received a, a basketball scholarship to Bible college. And I decided to do it basically for three reasons. I was a new Christian. I wanted to know the Bible more. I wanted to play basketball and I wanted to travel at somebody else's expense. <laughs> it was the first time I ever flew in a jet. But making that decision, which was a really hard one for me because of some other plans that I had, it totally changed the course of my life. I won't tell you about any bad ones. But someone said it this way, we make our choices and then our choices make us. Our choices, aren't they like that? A single decision can determine your destiny, shape and transform your future. Today, we're we're going to talk about the most important choice you'll ever make in your life. And and Jesus is going to talk to us about two ways, a hard way and an easy way. And Jesus mentors us in this as you watch him throughout the Gospels. And throughout the Gospels, in a number of places, it says that Jesus set himself toward Jerusalem. And you wonder, well, yeah, okay, what's the big deal? It's kind of like headquarters for where the church was going to be birthed. But Jesus knew it was simply this. That's where he was going to die to save and to redeem and to buy back people from the clutches of hell and hellish forces. And so he says that he had to set his gaze to Jerusalem to go there. He had to choose every day for three years to go there. And Jesus teaches us that, you know, you got to choose the hard way. Got to make that decision every day. So here's what he says in Matthew 7, verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. At this point, Jesus is just about ready to uh, conclude the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This is our 27th week in it, and Jesus did it in a day. Um, (laughs) But there's probably a lot more to it, obviously, because they couldn't transcribe. 
But Jesus is concluding this epic Mount Everest talk. And from chapter 5, verse 1, through the last time we spoke on this two weeks ago, he was talking about the, the ethical lifestyle, what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, what it looks like to pursue Jesus in his kingdom and his life for our lives so that we can have a John 10, 10 life, that we can live life abundantly and that there's a fulfilling and fulfillment to walking with Jesus. But he's gonna make a radical shift here now for his next three teachings. He's going to conclude with a series of warnings for them and for you and I today. It's almost as if he's coming to the end and he says, here's what the crux of everything is. This is the pivotal point of what I'm talking about. Because every one of you is going to have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. It's choice time. It's a choice that will determine every person's destiny. He says there's two gates, there's two roads, there's two destinies, and there's two crowds. Uh, Jesus has a profound way of simplifying everything. Edward Markham said something that's so true. He said, choices are the hinges of destiny. We make them every day. Some we know how they're going to affect us. Many of them, not so much. But Jesus says, first thing, he says, there's two gates. There's the wide and the narrow gate. Jesus contrasts these two gates, one wide and the other narrow. And he says, I want you to enter. If you're going to be part of this kingdom, I want you to enter by the narrow gate. See, these gates here, they represent entry points on two roads. One is easy and the other one is hard. Uh, you're going to see a picture up here. I think we have it. Uh, but it's a painting by Cornelius de Bay. It was a 17th, he was a 17th century Belgian painter and poet. And he titled this, The Narrow Gate to Heaven and the Wide Gate to Hell. Uh, you see here on the right side how easily people could just kind of go through the big gate. Then up above, you see this one narrow thing that people are walking on. And they got to kind of almost steady themselves selves as they make their way on it. It's an epic picture, very, very famous. I love it. Isn't it true that most of us like the wide, easy way? Plenty of room, lots of comfort. I do. I was driving home about midnight on Thursday night, and I didn't realize, I'm not usually up past 10, so I didn't realize that there was all this road construction going on 680 from about uh, Pleasant Hill uh, maybe conquered 680 all the way to Highway 4. So I'm a little tired. I'm driving. I'm trying to f keep focused because they got all of these cones. And you gotta, you got to find your way through the cones and get through the cones. And all of these cones lead you into this narrow pathway. And then I'm thinking, am I going to be able to find my way? I mean, it's not like I've ever been lost on 680 before. <laughs> but it's really hard to get in there and get through there and keep my eye on the road and make sure I don't, you know, kill cones. And I didn't, fortunately. <laughs> but it was close. See, I like the wide exit points. I like the wide on-ramps. And, and Jesus is saying that these two gates represent the entry points to life roads and ways of living. The wide gate, most people prefer it because, well, it's easy. 
It's easy to find, easy to get through, plenty of room. No one's asking you to leave behind, to give up. I mean, there's just plenty of room. It's the gate of, if, if Jesus was giving us a little more definition, he'd probably say it's the gate of whatever. Be whatever you want. Do whatever you want to do. It's the gate where you're in charge. The sign over the wide gate says, all roads lead to God. So your road, your belief, your understanding is as good as any. No one can tell me or you if we're on this wide gate, what's right or what's wrong. You're in charge. That's the wide gate. <laughs> it's so popular. <laughs> it's so American. Narrow gate's different. Uh, Jesus says it's hard, it's difficult. The Greek word is thlebo, and it means to press or to crowd against, to compress or to, it's almost like to make narrow, to squeeze. I think the idea uh, that most of the translations bring out that it's hard, it's difficult. When you take this gate, friends, it is the hard way. This will shock some of you, but I worked construction for a year and a half. <laughs> I, I, I did, and I, it, it, it's, it, the interesting story of it is I went to plant a church in Manteca, and one of the guys that I led to the Lord as a high schooler started his own business, so he hired me because he was incredibly gifted, so gifted, he thought I knew all that he knew. I said, dude, I'm a Bible teacher, man. I don't do, oh, go do this. He'd give me 12 instructions. And I couldn't even remember the first one. I cost him, more, sidebar, I cost him more money than I ever made. And, uh, but he, he thought the funniest thing in the world is whenever we'd have to go under a house, he would always send me. I hate heights. I'm claustrophobic and I can't stand snakes. So... Um, two of those could often be a part of this job and he'd send me under there and I couldn't take anything. I could already take any tools, maybe a hammer, a prober or whatever. That's kind of what Jesus, he says, you know, it's not comfortable. It's not easy. A lot of people don't want to go this way. The narrow gate is the choice. Ultimately, Jesus says, is to follow him. Make him the priority. It's the choice to follow Jesus. In fact, the narrow gate is Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says about himself in John 10, 6 through 10. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they just couldn't quite grasp the point of what he was saying to them. So Jesus said, okay, let me, let me break it down for you. Let me say it once more. I do assure you that I myself am the door for the sheep. All who have gone before me are like thieves and rogues, but the sheep didn't listen to them. He's talking about prophets of the past that were false. But he says, I am the door. If a man goes through me, he will be safe and sound and he can come in and out. He can find his food. But the thief, speaking of Satan, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I come to bring life and far more than any kind of life you've ever had. Now, we have to let the Bible kind of define the meaning in other places, some of the things that we talk about in the scriptures. As Jesus uses this different metaphor here in John chapter 10 instead of the gate, but it's still a gate leading to somewhere, the sheep pen. 
the sheepfold. He is saying unequivocally, unquestionably, I am the gate. I am the person. I am the entrance to salvation, to wholeness into God's kingdom. Salvation is simply, it isn't just about making a relation, coming into a relationship with Jesus, but it's about when we come into a relationship with Jesus, he begins to work into our lives. He begins to transform us. He begins to give us new directions, new priorities, new purposes. He begins to heal us from the inside out. It isn't just that we, okay, I got my asbestos suit on, I'm good. Jesus, the salvation, the totality of that word is that he's working in us and transforming us and changing us. I think I said it last week that if you're not changing some, if you're still doing the same stuff and you're not becoming more like Jesus, I don't know that you're really dealing with Jesus. And that's scary. Because we're going to talk about it in two weeks, what Jesus says to people like that. It's serious. That's why Jesus, I think, brings this to the pinnacle of his teaching. The narrow gate, loved ones, don't forget, is to choose Jesus. When you say yes to follow Jesus, it means you're saying no to a lot of other things, selfishness, sin, not going your own way. You will no longer become in charge of your life, but you allow Jesus to step in. John 14, 6 through 7, Jesus says to his disciples, he's getting ready to check out on the night of his betrayal. And he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Notice those three things. I'm the way. You'll find your way with me. I'm the truth. Anything I say is going to be true. And I'm the way. You want to find? I'm the life. You want to find God? He says, look at me and you'll know the Father. So Jesus is talking about entering into this salvation, the eternal matters about heaven as he's speaking to the disciples. It's a narrow gate. It's only one person wide. Nobody can take you in. Nobody can guide you through. You have to make the choice. You have to walk. There are no grandchildren in heaven. God has no grandchildren. You're either a son or a daughter. And it's by your choice. Jesus calls us all, but not everyone called will choose to enter that gate. If you go to Luke 18, I'm just going to tell you this story, but Luke 18, the rich young ruler, he wanted to follow Jesus. He heard about Jesus, everything that Jesus was doing for people and how he was transforming them and healing them. And they could now see when they were blind and they, they can walk now because their life was healed. And so this guy, this young, I call him a rich, young ruler. That's two things that would be really nice for some of us right now, rich and young. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so this guy, he comes sliding up to Jesus. He says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? I want to follow you. Now, Jesus only does this with this one guy, so don't panic. But he says to this one guy, here's what I want you to do. You know the commands, right? Oh, yeah, man, I've memorized them when I was a kid. I went to Sunday school and whew. Got all the stars and look at me now. Jesus says, exactly. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sell everything, give it to the poor. Now, I, you know, here's what I think, okay? This isn't Bible. I wonder if, this, if Jesus would have really made him do that. Or was he testing his heart? I, I don't know. 
But Jesus points and he fingers it and he says, go do that. And the guy, it says that the guy was sad. He wouldn't do it. Here's actually the, what it says. Seeing that he became sad, sad, Jesus said, oh, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then there were those around who heard this and they asked, Jesus, then who can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible with man is impossible with God. Talk about a narrow gate. Imagine squeezing a camel through the eye of a needle. Hyperbole, impossible. But that's what Jesus is saying. You can't do this on your own. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You have to choose to enter into a relationship with the living Christ. You're not choosing a religion. You don't decide to go to synagogue. You don't decide to go to Creekside and stand before God someday and say, hey, <laughs> I went to synagogue. I went to Creekside. No, I ain't gonna do it. Do you know Jesus? That's the narrow gate. It's about choosing Jesus as sacrifice for your sin and then walking and growing in your relationship with him, leaving the old self-centered life behind to follow Jesus, to live the new God-first life. I was talking to somebody recently. I didn't say this to him, but I just, I was, I was wondering, are you really saved? Because I've, I've seen him and I said, you know, I haven't seen you grow. I see you digress. I see you going backwards. Okay, now, you're now I'm opening up a whole theological box. I understand. Once saved, always saved. Can you lose yourself? I don't know. I, got, I don't have time to get into all of that. I've got my strong beliefs on that. But Jesus is giving us an invitation here. And after the first two chapters, two and a half chapters, he says, this is what it looks like to be a person of the kingdom that has chosen to walk through the gate. Perfection, absolutely not. Direction, you bet. We're going to talk next week about fruits. Two gates, wide and narrow. Big question for today, have you entered it? Jesus goes on to say there's two roads, easy and hard. Cross-reference, I want you to hang with me, would you to turn over to Luke chapter 13. I want to read some scripture that's kind of almost a parallel passage, but not quite. It looks like it's a different time when Jesus is talking to another group of people. And I'll come back to this also in two weeks, because there seems to be some very parallel points here from um, Matthew 7 to Luke 13. Uh, Luke 13, pick it up at verse 22. We're talking about two roads, easy and hard. Jesus went through the town and the village after, <clears throat> excuse me, another teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. There's that phrase. Jesus says, I am focused on the cross to save humanity. Somebody comes up to him, Lord, why are only a few people going to be saved? Are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus said to them, he doesn't, he doesn't really answer the question. 
But he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because I tell you, many will try to enter and they won't be able to. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then you will stand outside and you'll knock on the door saying, Lord, Lord, let me in, let me in. For me, these really are some of the more terrifying words of Jesus. And again, in two weeks, we'll kind of unpack what that looks like. But Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. In the, in the Greek, the word make every effort there is, it means to agonize. It means to push. It, it comes from the Grecian games. They would have used it where the athletes and the wrestlers, they would have literally been agonizing to train and to, and to get into the games and then to be able to compete in those games. It's like our present day Olympics that are starting in a little over a week. That's what it's referred to. He says, I want you to agonize like an athlete. He says, there's going to be this struggle. You got to be active in the process. You got to be earnest. It's going to bring some brow, some sweat to your brow. It's going to, it's going to kind of, you're going to get a little pitted out if you're doing it right. See, Jesus is using a lot of different language here. It's so important. Need to see what Jesus is saying. He's countering in that day. He's countering in our day. This thing called easy believism. We're led to simply assume or to presume on the grace of God and the relationship that he offers us. Now, don't panic, all you thinkers and scholars. I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that salvation comes or is attained through your labor, through your doing, your toil, or your, or your working. Hear me. I'm committed, totally committed, and agree with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that says, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, that you could do so you could boast. So true. We will never be able to offer God our works, how much we prayed, how much we gave, how much we attended church, how much of the Bible we read, how much we served, fill in the blank for the good things that you do. Nothing on this earthly place or in the horizontal existence in which we live will make us deserving of heaven or a relationship with the living Christ. But, Jesus seems to be making a delineation here, a distinction between our works and our working out as we enter into a relationship with him. A relationship with Jesus is never available or based on our works. But Jesus seems to be communicating that may not be totally available either without working. That there isn't a striving, that there isn't an intensity with it. See, see, sometimes, loved ones, that we forget is the truth of Scripture is often held in dynamic tension. 
That's why we have theologies. One group over here believes it totally over here. Another group believes it totally over here. You know why? Because the truth that both of them believe are being held in tension. And I really believe part of the reason that happens is because God says, I don't want you just to believe in a doctrine which is so important. I don't want you to focus solely on a theology that man comes up with, which theology is so important but I want to make sure that you're walking and looking to me and this word. So much of what Jesus teaches in the Bible, it's in this tension. And we want to box God up and put a bow on him. And it can't always be that way. But understand, there's a difference between our works and our working out as we enter into a relationship with Jesus. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, Paul's writing, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more, obey in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purposes. Paul is not saying work out your salvation to get it. He's saying God has deposited it in you. You have made the decision to choose and to follow him. There's going to be some things that we get to work out. I work out how I treat the people around me. God does it. He gives us the empowerment. He gives us the, he gives us the teaching. He gives us the principles and the understanding. But now he says, I want, you to walk this, I want you to work this out. I don't want you to stay the same. I don't want you to still be that belligerent, uncaring, self-centered person that you've always been. Because now you've got this at work in you. Don't stay where you were. I love you too much. I'm at work in you. Work with me. Cooperate. Matter of fact, Paul uses when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He actually uses the word phobia. He goes, you ought to have a little phobia about your life. Where there's a seriousness to what God wants to do in us and through us. There's two ways to choose from here. Easy way or the hard way. Jesus is clear. He says, I want you to, I want there to be some agony. Most people choose the easy way. Why? Well, because it's easy. It looks like everyone else is going that way. I mean, let's face it. All those people can't be wrong. Look at conventional wisdom that people buy into. See, the easy way will always be the popular way. It's the path of least resistance with plenty of room for diversity and opinions, laxity of morals. Travelers on this road do what they want, when they want, how they want, believe what they like. They just kind of do what seems right to them. Read the book of Judges and you'll see a group that entered the promised land and all hell broke loose around them and their nation because the catchphrase was, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. I see people all the time. You know, preacher, this Bible, it's pretty rigid. It's pretty tight. I don't think I want to follow it anymore. I want freedom. Freedom. Really. 
How many of you have seen people that are free? They're the most bound up people you ever knew. Jesus says, I want you to take the hard way. It's the way of Jesus. Jesus said in studying the Sermon on the Mount, he calls us, he called you and me. We've been talking about this 27 weeks. Get rid of anger, lust, stay married, love your enemies, stop judging others, treat others the way you want to be judged. You tell me, is that easy or hard? The way of Jesus is always somewhat self-denial, always loving and being willing to sacrifice because that's the life of Jesus. That's not easy. See, following Jesus is hard. He doesn't take any, doesn't take any effort to be selfish, greedy, hypocritical, self-righteous. That comes so easily to me. It does take effort to resist those things doing the right thing in the right time, in the right way, for the right reasons, is always difficult. But Jesus calls you and I, loved ones, to be growing in that. It becomes a great indicator how do I strive? How do I agonize? How do I, how do I do that? First and foremost, he says here, you press into the door, you walk into Jesus. When you face those times, when you want to nuke somebody, when you want to exploit somebody, when you want to use somebody, when you want to do your own thing that you know unequivocally, undeniably is wrong for what God has for you, Here's part of that agonizing. You press into Jesus. Oh, I know what I want to do, but I know what I got to do. I got to press into the door. I got to press into the gate that's really a person, the savior of my life. I'm an application guy. I was the other day in the store and I had this basket full of like 10 things, the express thing wasn't open. So I'm in this long line of people with 190 goods, you know? And I'm thinking, <laughs> where's the justice? And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in a bad mood or anything, but I was just in a hurry. And so all of a sudden, somebody comes over and they go, oh, I'm the checker here, I've got that. And I was next in line over here. And, and this guy goes, hey, come on over here, I got the next group. And this gal, she's looking at everybody's baskets and she cuts right in front of me. I mean, I don't know if it was a gal or a guy. Um, and uh, I know, but uh, she, they cut right in front of me. And you know what I wanted to do? I just want to go over and pinch her little head off. <laughs> Because it's almost like she, she just looked at my basket and I was next. So here I had two options, pinch your head or say, Jesus, you're the door. Now I know this is really, I, I know it's really silly, 
But it's the truth. Because see, when you begin to do that in the smaller things like that, day after day, it'll get much easier to do it in the big things of your life. But see, we have a tendency to have big and small, and we focus on the big, and we don't care about the small. But Jesus does because he knows it's the small things. Because you've been faithful in small things, you'll be faithful in much. Two gates, wide and narrow. Two roads, easy and hard. You have two destinies, destruction and life. The wide gate's easy way leads to destruction. Narrow gate's hard, but it leads to life. Jesus clearly spells out what is at stake in this choice of gates. Life and death. So I want to be crystal clear what is at stake in your choice. Choose the wide gate, the easy way of going with the crowd, doing what everyone else is doing or what you want to do. It's destruction. Again, you can ruin your life here on earth and then you can experience eternal judgment and destruction. Oh boy, we haven't heard that for a while. Well, that's, we've just been tuning what Jesus is teaching, but he wants to re- tell us now. People ask me, well, how can you believe this? How can you believe a God could do this? And I got a whole teaching on it. God's God, you're not. You know? I mean, that's not the teaching, but that's, that's the bottom line. God's God, you're not. When I play Monopoly, when I play the game of life, when I play golf, I play by their rules. I didn't play, I I just play. I don't make the rules up. I'd like to. God made the rules of this life up, and like I say, there's a lot more to it than what I just said. But ultimately, you have to come to almost that kind of simplistic conclusion. If you want to choose the narrow gaze following Jesus, heaven and hell are at stake. Not just heaven and hell, but heaven or hell. Get the delineation there? A lot of people want to believe, well, you know, let's just see how it all pans out. That's fine for you. Jesus came not just to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into you down here. It's not just so you can live forever, but it's so you can live now with intentionality and purpose and higher calling, with the fullness of life that Jesus brings to us so that as we are now moving out of COVID, this church, you and I can go out and begin to be difference makers again wherever we go because we have hope in Jesus Christ because there's still a lot of people out there that have a little or no hope. So easy to lose sight of what is at stake and we can begin to be deceived Things aren't always what they seem. You know that. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. The easy way just always seems so good. Things aren't what they seem. You ever seen Walt Disney's Pinocchio? Yeah, most of us have probably seen it a hundred times because of our kids. But what happens? Pinocchio and his friends are taken to Pleasure Island. It's everything a boy could dream about. Rides, adventures, candy, all you can eat, no parents, no rules, just have fun. What happens to Pinocchio? Despite the earnest efforts of his 
conscience, Jiminy Cricket. He tries to save him. But what they don't tell Pinocchio and the other little boys is that everyone who goes to Pleasure Island and they begin to live these things out, their selfish desires and live for themselves, uh, they ultimately turn into a donkey and they're sent off to work in, of all places, salt mines. As in most children's stories, there's always a moral, isn't there? What's the moral here? It's unrestrained selfishness. It's a lack of growth and coming under authority, listening to the people that know the word that we can trust. What looks good in the end may turn us into a jackass. What seemed to be the easy way, the fun way, was really the way of the salt mine and an extremely hard, hard life, the way to destruction. Saddest thing of ministry is seeing people start good and then they decide to go back to their old life and you can literally see the age marks. You can literally see the change in them. You hear it in their language. You see it in their habits. And then you see it in their marriage. And then you see it physically. Brandon Boyd said this, I think that there is something beautiful about morality that makes our decisions mean more. I've seen a lot of people pass. I've been with a lot of people in their last hours. It's amazing the hope they have when they know Jesus. It's amazing the lack of hope when they don't. Don't be deceived, Galatians 6. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to the flesh will weep, excuse me, reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Don't underestimate loved ones. The number one choice of choosing Jesus and then the choices you make daily to follow Jesus. Last one is two crowds, many people and few people. Here's an important point. I just want to clear this up in case people are thinking like, uh, some people think this means that only a few people will be saved. I don't think Jesus is encouraging us to guess that how many people will get saved or what the percentage of people getting saved is going to be. He's challenging us to agonize, to work, and to understand that there's two different cultures, there's two different kinds of people, and we want to make the right choices to enter the narrow gate and to live for him. Choose the hard way, the way of the cross. It isn't a percentage. It isn't, we don't know what the number is. God does. Because this is what Jesus said, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, God wants everyone to be saved. We see God's willingness is so expansive. First Timothy 2. It says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. Come to a knowledge of the truth. For this is one is God. There's one mediator between God and mankind. It's the man Christ Jesus, his son who gave himself as a ransom for all people. 
God's will is so expansive. God's heart is so huge. Look what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, it's a, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's God's. That's the hugeness of God's heart. God's heaven is inclusive. Revelation 7, 9 says this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hand. If there's only a few going to be saved, that's a pretty big few. Back to Luke 13, verse 25, Jesus says, you know something, there's going to come a day, the watchman's going to get up, he's going to close the door. Two views on that. The first one is eschatological, which means the end times, that when the end time comes, obviously nobody's going to be able to respond again. Second view is Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, where Paul is saying today is the day of salvation. Your day. There's a day. There's a time. Enter. Walk through. Choose. Pursue. I don't know which one's correct. But I will always challenge you to say, today could be the day. I'm choosing today. I'm choosing Jesus today. Obviously, there's something for the Christ follower in here and for those who don't follow Christ today. I kind of want you to just do your own evaluation as we close. Kind of, uh, what's the Lord saying to you? How are you choosing? Are you agonizing over this walk with Jesus? Saying, Lord, I give you me and my all. Are you here today? Maybe you've never made that choice. I want to invite you, if you would just quietly stand with me and I'm going to close this portion. We're going to get to do one of my favorite things in the whole world, baptism. Baptism simply pictures what Jesus did for us came, he died on the cross, was placed in the tomb, rose to new life. People are going to go into the water. They're going to be buried underneath the water like the tomb. They're going to die to themselves. And then symbolically, like when Jesus rose to new life in the tomb, that's what we do. We come up and we get to experience symbolically the cleansing that Jesus does inside of us. And this is an incredible time to celebrate. We have at least five, I think five people getting baptized today. Here's the deal. Maybe today you want to make a decision to follow, to choose to follow Jesus. You can get baptized because that's always the next step. Maybe you've never been baptized and the Lord's saying to you, you know what? It's time. So we're going to,
And I just want to give everybody an opportunity if you just bow your heads and online. If you've never chosen to walk through the door to Jesus and salvation today, I want to invite you to do that. If you're online, just click the hand that's on there and you can say, today I choose. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I invite you just to raise your hand and people give you a sense of privacy. And I just, I want to pray with you today. Is there anybody here that would say, that's, that's me, Terry, never done it. Or maybe you've stepped away for a while and you say, I got to get back. I want to come back. Anybody here? I'm looking over on my left to your right. Anybody here today that would say, that's me, Terry. Anybody over here? Say, yep, that, that's me. Anybody? Okay. Here's, here's what we get to do, church. We get to go out and reach people. Let's do that. Father, we come today. I pray, Lord, that we would, Lord, this isn't a scare tactic, is it? You taught it, Lord. But it's a, it's a time to realize, Lord, that you, you, you don't come just to teach us how to become, but you empower us and call us to become like you. And that those things, Lord, that we just take for granted, we assume, you say, well, let's, let's check those things out. Lord, help us to have this sobriety that the people we rub shoulders with every day, we don't want to become one of those gospel clowns or Christian clowns that acts and says and does stupid things, but we want to have a sobriety that lets people know there is a way, there is a truth, and there is a life that they can enter into. Give us opportunities, Lord, to speak into those situations and to touch those people in Jesus' name.